Good morning, Vancouver 601 on a Thursday. Happy Thursday, everybody. It is Halford. It is Bruff. It is Sportsnet 650. We are coming to you live from the Kintex Studios in beautiful Fairview Slopes in Vancouver. We'll start this morning by saying good morning to Jason. Good morning, Jason Bruff. Good morning. And we will throw over to the other side of the building and say good morning to Greg Ballack, a.k.a. Laddie. Good morning, Laddie. Hello. And then finally, we will say good morning to our good buddy, the A-Dog, Andy Cole, who is also on the other side of the building. Good morning, Andy. Good morning. Uh, this is good. This is day two in our makeshift studio, and it feels more natural. It feels like we really got a hold of things. The show will continue to strive for its usual level of mediocrity, only we're going to do it in this closet that they call a podcasting recording studio. Halford and Breath of the Morning is brought to you by the Delari family of Acura dealers. Experience the Delari difference today by visiting your nearest Delari Acura dealer today. I mentioned we're in a remote studio. That's because they are currently doing renovations on the Kintec Studio studio. And so far, Jason, it looks pretty cool. I got to admit, they've done a really nice job in there so far. Yeah, no, I think the, the hot tub is going to be a nice addition, sure especially is. for the morning show. So that's, uh, that's good to see. Uh, it'll help your ailing feet. Yeah, and my ailing back. And uh, my elbow hurts now, and just everything hurts. I had a hockey game last night, and uh, just, just you, you feel great right after it. You feel, you feel alive. And then in the morning, you don't. <laughs> Uh, so as you mentioned, the hot tub in the Kintec studio, I don't know if you might be over-promising there, but tell the folks about Kintec and their 1,500 five-star Google reviews. Oh, do you mean Kintec Footwear and Orthotics? That's the they, one. They are Canada's favorite orthotics providers, supported by over 1,500 five-star Google reviews. Find your perfect fit. I always get, get that. Find your perfect fit at Kintec.net. It's the last syllable of perfect. Perfect fit. Stuff. Perfect fit. It's okay. Yeah. We're going to get through it together. No, I'm not uh, going to beat myself up. No, you, you know, know what? You can't. You can't, you can't. do that. you yeah. got to stay positive. Yeah. Uh, on the show today, very excited. Uh, we're doing a shorter version of the show tomorrow. We're only going to be on for two hours. So today is our last full show of the week, and we got it loaded up with great guests and great stuff to talk about. 7 o'clock, guest list, Nick Shook from NFL.com is going to join us. Pretty cool Thursday night football game. i got to admit, the defending AFC champion Cincinnati Bengals are taking on the red-hot, white-hot uh, Miami Dolphins. So that'll be interesting. You got Tua Tungavailoa versus Joe Burrow. You have the new NFL's hotshot young coach and Mike McDaniel. You've got all the controversy surrounding Tua's concussion. Oh, no, wait, it was a back injury right. last Sunday. And a short week for the Dolphins as well. His back is in his head now. That's right. The backbone's connected. Tua's going to play, bones. though, for sure, right? Yes. Uh, yeah. all, all important parties are in this game. Uh, Cincinnati got their season back on track last week, finally getting off the schneid to move to one and two. So we'll talk to Nick about that. We can go around the NFL, look at some of the stories from last week, and then do a preview of this weekend as well. So that's at 7 o'clock. I'm not giving, by the way, I'm not going to give Cincinnati, like, everything's going to be okay status because you beat the Jets. The, the correct analysis of that was they salvaged their season and nothing more. Look at these next two. They got Miami today. They got Baltimore in week five. Now, is Lamar Jackson playing good football right now? Yeah. I, I mean, I, I hope they're not a flash-in-the-pan type team. I think Joe Burrow is, is the real deal, but um, he gets sacked a lot. His, his offensive line <laughs> is quite poor. Yeah, and, and that's been the case. I don't want to go too far down the road here because we can save some of this for Nick Shook at 7 o'clock, but uh, it's been a recurring problem since he broke into the NFL, and it doesn't seem like it's got any better. That's why I've, I've been saying him and so many other examples throughout the years, if the Seahawks are going to draft a quarterback next year, 
Uh, get the offensive line sorted out. Get these young guys, these young tackles figured out. And if you need to add a veteran to the group before that young quarterback comes in, go and do it. Because, man, I just don't want to see, first of all, you don't want to see him uh, see a new quarterback get hurt. But you want to give him every chance of success. And I think in Seattle, if you've got receivers like Metcalf and Lockett and you've got a good offensive line, then that's probably as good as you can probably do. But just don't put them in a position to get beaten up, to get run around, and to lose his confidence. So there's something else we can talk about with Nick Shook from NFL.com. It's 7 o'clock, 7.30. Frank Saravalli is going to join us, our NHL insider from Daily Faceoff. We'll whip around the league, look at some of the prominent stories. You know, everyone thinks that the Vancouver Canucks have injury problems right now, and admittedly they do. Toronto Maple Leafs have injury problems right now. We can talk to them about that. We can go in and out some of the bigger stories as we inch closer and closer to the start of the regular season. So Frank's at 7.30, 8 o'clock, play-by-play voice of the Vancouver Canucks, Brendan Batchelor. He'll be action in action tonight because the Canucks are hosting the Seattle Kraken in exhibition action at Rogers Arena. So we've got a big show ahead, working in reverse on the guest list, 8 o'clock, and I see I have a typo in my notes, Brenda Batchelor. That's not good. Brenda Batchelor. It's Brendan Bachelor. I apologize, Batch. I got your name wrong there. 7.30, Frank Saravalli. 7 o'clock, Nick Shook. Uh, Thursday Night Football, Dolphins, Bengals. We talked about that. Preseason action, Seattle at Vancouver. That's what's happening on the show today. Laddie, A-Dog, let's tell everybody what happened. Hey, did you guys see the game last night? No. no. What happened? I missed all the action because I was... We know how busy your life can be. What happened? Missed that? You missed that? Now, very unique circumstances here because in light of the fact that a lot of Canucks stuff happened yesterday, you'd think we'd start Canucks. But one sports story superseded everything overnight, and that was Aaron Judge tying Roger Maris's American League record of 61 home runs in a season. Yankees history, Jason, made in Toronto. Uh, Judge hit a tie-breaking two-run drive for the Yanks in the seventh inning that led them to a win over the Blue Jays 8-3 on Wednesday night. It was a 94.5-mile-an-hour sinker from Tim Meza. That is the answer to the trivia question. Uh, Now, Judge launched the ball over the left-field fence at Rogers Center, and that is important. The location of that home run is important. We'll get to that in a minute. It put the Yankees up 5-3. They went on to an 8-3. So there's two, honestly, I know the significance and everything else of the event, but there were two big stories For me, anyway, it was one, what was the call going to sound like? And two, who was going to catch the ball? But before we get to any of that, I want to play the audio of the call first. This is Michael Kay on the Yes Network calling one of the most iconic home runs in the history of one of Major League Baseball's most iconic franchises. Here's the call of Aaron Judge's 61. And the 3-2. Joe deep to left field. This could be it. See ya. He's done it. Number 61. He's been chasing history, and now he makes it. He and Roger Maris are tied with 61 home runs, the most anybody has ever hit in a single season in American League history. So I don't know if you went on to the Twitter machine or any social media outlet after the game, but they were kind of skewering Michael Kay for that call. It was pretty meh. It was a little wordy. I thought I thought maybe at some point you let the moment take over and you just do one of these. Yeah, it would have been broke, a lot easier for him if it wasn't on the road. I think that's a big part you of know? it. I think maybe instinctively you And look at these Blue Jays fans. They're 
Giving him a nice round of applause. Bitterly all, disappointed. Bitterly right? disappointed they couldn't get the ball. <laughs> right? That's kind of the thing. I, feel, I felt bad because it's kind of the radio, inherent radio nerd. I'm sure you, you're kind of like this, too. Like, there are some play-by-play calls that you're just like, oh, man, like, you nailed it. Yeah. Huge moment. Mm-hmm. Stakes are high. And I think at a certain point you can't be scripted. Like Shorty with the Slay the Dragon But I think, call. you know, what, yeah, what you need is, like, a short burst of what happened. Mm-hmm. Let the crowd take over. And in some ways, you have to take some time to collect your thoughts. And then a, a, a really good statement after that. Yes. But when you don't, I I don't know. Whatever. I'm, I'm Maybe 62 will be better. Uh, well, yeah, that's the whole. That's the whole. And it's I, like 61 is even a big deal. I, I'm, mostly, I'm mostly mentioning this because I heard the call and I was like, oh, okay. It's, it's fine. Fine was a good descriptor for it. But then I, uh, I didn't realize that there was such a backlash on. Yeah. God forbid there was a backlash on Twitter. I know it's hard What's to imagine. That? I know it's hard There's to imagine. Some people pushing back? See, text into the Dunbar Lumber text message in basket early, 650-650, if you want to get a hold of us at the show. Too much chatter, Gary writes. He should have let it breathe. Well, okay. He's got a chance for 62. Uh, the other audio I do want to play here is from Roger Maris Jr. So Roger Maris Jr. has, God bless him, he's put up some frequent flyer miles. Because when Judge hit 60... Maris then took to the road to follow Judge around until he tied his dad's record. Finally happened last night. Because remember, Judge had gone, I believe it was seven games, without a dinger. And then Roger Maris got to the podium afterwards and decided to throw it on the line that if Aaron Judge was to get to 62, that he should be considered the all-time home run king. Let's take it away in studio. Roger Maris Jr. speaking after Aaron Judge went for 61. I think it means a lot, and that's not just for me. I think it means a lot for a lot of people, you know, that uh, he's clean, he's a Yankee, he plays the game the right way, and, uh, you know, I think it gives people a chance to look at somebody who, uh, you know, should be revered for hitting 62 home runs and not just as a, a guy who did it in the American League. He should be revered for, you know, being the actual single season home run champ. I mean, that's really who he is if he hits 62. And uh, and I think that's what needs to happen. I think baseball needs to look at the records, and I think baseball should do something. Barry Bonds, a reminder, holds the big league record of 73 home runs for the Giants, which was now over 20 years ago. Do you have in your mind what you think? Like, if someone asks you, like, who is the legitimate home run king let's say judge gets to 62 mm-hmm. well, who would you say i'm ready to say aaron judge yeah me too like i hate cheaters so uh and i realize but i but i also realize that it's a very gray area it's in, it's in pretty that. nuanced i'll say this because yeah. i i don't have a ton of time for this argument but i do have a little time for it mm-hmm. that in that era 20 years ago the early 2000s a lot of guys were juicing and the playing field might have been more than we think of guys that were on performance-enhancing drugs. Like, I'm not naive enough to think that the only three guys, you know, (laughs) doing Balco-style stuff. But if the question is Roger Maris versus Barry Bonds, unless Roger Maris was, I don't know, juicing, you know, then then there's the question. Right. right? The unfortunate thing is that it's all going to be so weirdly subjective now because Major League Baseball record books – Officially acknowledge Barry Bonds as the home run champ, but well, Aaron Barry Judge, Bonds, Aaron Judge did too, which is interesting. And yeah. in, in some ways, I, I wonder if you just did that. Like it's easier to do that than to say. Like, Look, I got I, I can see the future. I'm going to have a lot of pressure over over me in the next few weeks. Maybe I could just give myself a break here 
just defer to bonds. Just yeah. you don't need all because when Maris said that yesterday, because it sounds self-serving if you say it that way, but, right? But it's when, like if I get to sixty-two, mm-hmm. I am the greatest of all time. Oh, was that Ricky Henderson? That was Ricky Henderson <laughs> swiping bags. Um, <laughs> that that is interesting though because Maris kind of threw inadvertently. I'm sure he didn't mean to do it this way, but you got to think about your words, folks. He kind of threw yeah. Judge into the action there. Tire Man Shane texts in, if Judge ever tests positive for steroids at any point in his career, Major League Baseball is ruined. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> totally. I know. Totally. I know. Major League Baseball must make sure that Aaron Judge never does anything wrong in his life, like even takes more than the prescribed Advil or anything like that. It's like three, two. You can only take two of the extra strength. Don't a- take three. Aaron Judge can't even go near like Flintstones kids vitamins at this point. You just stay away from anything that could potentially screw this up because this has been the most interesting chase in terms of like an individual record that baseball's had since the home run yeah. record fell. It is a big deal. So I the- feel like I'm the only one that's talking about him maybe not being back with the Yankees next year. I know everyone was excited about the race. No, no, no. It's a good conversation to have. It's just I think what's happened Maybe is- it's like the, the J.T. Miller uh, echoes in my sports analysis. I'm like, does anyone realize that he's like a pending UFA? No, it's because it, we've talked about it on the show. And we had, and I've, I apologize for not remembering his name in the moment, but the Yankees beat writer from Newsday on last week. And he even said, like, that's a great question, and it's something that is pressing. However, the home run chase and then the playoffs are even more pressing, so those are just yeah. taking up all the oxygen right now. I, I realize that, yeah. but, but it's I just a great think story. with a player like Aaron Judge, I guess the question I have would be, how could the Yankees possibly let this guy go? And that might be the other reason why the conversation isn't going anywhere, because everyone just is looking at this and saying, yeah. He's got to stay with the Yankees, or the Yankees got to keep. If him. you have a guy like this, and you are the Yankees, yeah. Even if I know they've made him an offer, right? It's mm-hmm. not like they're like, oh, we'll get to this later, right? We'll like they have, they have tried it, and he's been like, no, I want to try and get more. Um, I still think they, you know, their their fans are going to be furious because if. Aaron Judge chooses to go something like he's going to play baseball somewhere, right? You'd so someone so. is going to pay him. He could stop. Yeah, he could. He'd be like, I'm good. <laughs> uh, he, but it, someone's going to pay him, and then Yankees fans are going to be like, why didn't you pay him that? Well, that's the other part of right? this. Is it's not just retaining a great player. There's a certain pride and I would say hubris with the Yankees. Yeah, you're the Yankees. You're yeah. the rich team. Because you know who you're going to get There's outbid no, by. No salary cap. There's one thing about being outbid by maybe a team on the West Coast, like, mm-hmm. say, the Giants, step up and do it. But if you can't get outbid by the Red Sox or the Mets, if the, you're the Yankees. The only way the only way that it'll be acceptable to Yankees fans, I think, is let's say he goes to the Giants and Judge says, I just wanted to be here. I wanted to be on the Giants. That's where he's from, right? Is he from? He's the, a San Fran, yeah. He's a San Fran guy? Yep. yep. And he said, no matter, it, w- it wasn't a money thing. I wanted to be there with the Giants. And if the Yankees can honestly say, like, yeah, we offered them that, he chose to go to the Giants, kind of like a Goudreau, Johnny Gaudreau situation, right? Mm-hmm. Um, then, I don't know, maybe Aaron Judge becomes the bad guy in, in New York or, or, or whatever. But I think that's the only way that Yankees fans aren't angry at their team. Could you imagine if he goes to the Giants next year and then breaks Barry Bonds' record as well? Would he be the greatest baseball player funny, of all time? I remember a few weeks ago saying something like, um, "You know, I hope he goes to. I hope he goes to the Yankees. Or if he, if he's going to leave the Yankees, I said, I hope it's like the Red Sox or the Mets, like something juicy." 
And then I said kind of a throwaway line. I was like, I hope it's not something like San Francisco. <laughs> and then I never even thought of that possibility of him breaking Barry Bonds' record in San Francisco. That would be incredible. So that's the only reason yes. that I would like to see him go to San Fran. I think it's a serious long shot. Oh, yeah. I mean, the season he's having right now is remarkable. And he's still, what, 12 homers shy of, of Barry Bonds. Mm-hmm. Okay, uh, the other big story. So the two stories with the judge home run were the call, which we've done, and the ball, which we've talked about at length on this show. What a story. So if you miss this, I'll walk you through the play-by-play of the 61st home run for Aaron Judge. It's a bit of a liner to left field. It's also got zero trajectory on it. It's got no arc, and it's not hit super far. However... It is within grabbing distance for the fans who bought the 100-level seats in the front row of the left field outfield. And it was packed. The ball was in the reach of two guys in particular. The first will forever remain unknown. Well, at least for the last 12 hours. Uh, It was a dude in a blue Blue Jays jersey, a Beau Bichette, if I'm not mistaken, who had the best look at it. He actually got his glove on the ball. In the aftermath, he declined to be interviewed, and I don't think he wanted to make his identity public, which is his right, which is fair. You know, we all remember what's happened to other famous, like, gaffes with guys in the outfield. But the other guy, powder blue, Vladimir Guerrero jersey, also kind of got into the shot. Now, he wasn't as close to catching Aaron Judge's home run ball. I feel like he distracted the guy who had the best shot at it. And that man's name is Frankie Lasagna. Is he related to uh, Italian soccer player Kevin Lasagna? I don't know if all the lasagnas are related. (laughs) Who's to say? This is so silly. Can can you imagine, though? Like, uh, we're part of the lasagna clan. (laughs) It sounds like an eating club. So, so some intrepid reporter went up to the stands and said, hey, can I talk to you? And Frankie Lasagna said, sure, my name's Frankie Lasagna. And that took off on he Twitter. He said, like, sure, yeah, yeah, let's talk. Yeah. Uh, oddly enough, he's a restaurant owner. Even more oddly enough, the restaurant is not named Frankie Lasagna's. So anyway. Do, do we know Anti-Italian discrimination. Do, do, do we know what the restaurant's called? Did he say which restaurant? You know what? It wasn't actually in the piece. How so. could he not promote his restaurant he, he did well he did in a very roundabout way he said had he have caught the ball his plan was to hold on to it mm-hmm. and then negotiate so the judge would have had to gone to the restaurant oh, okay to like get the ball and then they do like some media around that so right. it was it was a fun night in baseball i apologize <laughs> to the guy he's like he's like i'm gonna hold that ball hostage uh <laughs> that was kind of i'm like is he referring to a hostage negotiation negotiation here anyway that's the baseball story i apologize to the one guy who swore at me and said move bleeping on the majority don't care thank you that's what i wanted to hear at six twenty in the morning that's right the aaron judge uh home run chase didn't get much attention uh, you know uh you know we're moving on we're moving on to the canucks here so yesterday so so halford and i here's a, here's a little story let's go uh we've had we've had a show meeting and uh one of the things that we've said is like we can't get distracted by the text inbox we can't we can't allow people to get us off our game so i'm gonna offer a little challenge up to uh the listeners here to try and test us to mm-hmm. practice us to practice us to give us some practice uh 
text in some obnoxious texts today. Be as abusive as humanly possible. Not like just like aggressively abusive because that's kind of boring. Those are easy. Those are easy to uh, ignore. But like the kind of obnoxious response that you think would get us off our game. Yeah. You know what? That's not a bad idea. Yeah. This is like live radio mm -hmm. tutorial right. and a challenge at the same time. Will Halford and Bruff fail? Probably. Probably. But we'll see what yeah. happens anyway. Okay. I do want to move on because what we're going to do here to satiate the goobers is we're going to do Canucks from here on in until 7 o'clock when we start getting in to our guest list. So there's a lot to break down with what happened with the Canucks yesterday. There was also a ton of stuff being written about the likes of Thatcher Demko and Jack Rathbone, and you wanted to talk about Tanner Pearson, and there's a piece out there um, also about, oh, Linus Carlson, who's going to get a big opportunity tonight, apparently, oh, against but, the Kraken. But but hold the phone, Alfred. I okay. mean, the Leafs have just signed Rasmus Sandin to a two-year contract, so everything has to everything has to stop now on the Sportsnet radio network. Uh, the Leafs, by the way, just had a bunch of injuries on their defense, so yes. not surprising that Sandin contract got done. Uh Anyway, back to you. Okay, so uh, Canucks stuff from yesterday. The Canucks practiced again on Wednesday at UBC ahead of Thursday's exhibition game against Seattle at Rogers Arena. That's tonight, of course. 6.30 puck drop. Make note of that. So with all the injuries that the Canucks have suffered to their top line, the lines look like this. It is the aforementioned Tanner Pearson on the line with JT Miller and Connor Garland. Then you've got Pod Colson, Horvat with rotating wingers and Curtis Lazar and Nils Hoaglander. Yeah. The interesting one for a lot of people is that the shiny new toy, one of them anyway, Andre Kuzmenko, gets reunited with Elias Pettersson, but instead of Ilya Mikhaev being on that wing, it's now the aforementioned Linus Carlson. So Bruce Boudreaux talked about this yesterday at practice, essentially said, look, he's shown well in Penticton at the Young Stars Prospect Tournament. He's fast. He's a goal scorer. He's got a body of work with the effort that he had in his SHL campaign. Mm -hmm. Let's see what he can do. So Dranta wrote a piece for The Athletic where he laid out how it's pretty apparent now that Bruce Boudreaux considers the JT Miller line to be the Canucks' top line. And, you know, you can just see that how there are, on the JT Miller line, there are three established NHLers on that line, mm -hmm. right? The and, and, I, and I mean three established top six NHLers, right? Because Petey is with, who is it, Kuzmenko and Linus Carlson? Yes. That, those are the three? Mm-hmm. Where's Hoaglander in all this, by the way? He is rotating on a line with Pod Colson and Horvat. So yesterday okay. it was Lazar and Hoaglander taking right. twirls on that so, line. So Horvat has Pod Colson, who's who's a, a good NHLer, but but a young NHLer still learning. Plus he's got Curtis Lazar, who's you know definitely not considered a top six player, and Hoaglander, who a lot of us expected would start the season in the AHL and. Might not now because of injuries, but mm -hmm. still, he was like a bubble guy, right? Yes. So the Pearson, sorry, the Pearson line, the Miller line is <laughs> the only one with two established wingers in Connor Garland and Tanner Pearson. Depending on what you think of Dakota Joshua and Phil DiGiuseppe, because they were taking spins with Jason Dickinson as their center. Okay, well, I don't <laughs> think that's the first line. I don't think that's the first line. Who's to say? So there's a lot of people out there that I know don't like that Tanner Pearson is on the quote-unquote top line for the Canucks. Um, I've always um, been – I've always defended Tanner Pearson because I feel like he's gotten a lot of the blowback from the group that just wanted the Canucks to have 
kids out there, youth, like, what is the point of Tanner Pearson? And I get that. When the Canucks re-signed him to that contract extension, I was kind of like, oh, man, like, you know, an- another another older player that you're probably overpaying by just a little bit in a flat cap environment. Um, and, you know, is, is, is Tanner Pearson the answer going forward? But I do think that Tanner Pearson is a good hockey player. And I think he has what uh, the Canucks are, are really lacking up front, and that's two-way ability. I think a lot of people forget that he was on a pretty important line for a Stanley Cup winning team. Mm-hmm. You know, there aren't many Canucks that can say that. Tanner Pearson, as far as the resume goes, yeah, it's got a lot there. And I realize he's not elite, you know, like this elite hockey player with these incredible skills, but I think what he gives the coaches is a consistent performance every day. And he's on the right side of pucks. He wins battles along the wall. Mm-hmm. Um, he's dependable. I think that's the word, is dependable. Good old dependable. It's boring. Yeah. It's boring. Don't get me wrong. It, it, it's boring. And, and I, I, don't, I don't love the fact that the Canucks have Tanner Pearson on their quote-unquote top line. But if that Miller line is going to be the matchup line, I'd have Pearson on it on on any matchup line because he's an experienced NHLer who knows how to play against the top competition. What would you put the other lines against the the other top top competition? Right. right. Yeah. No, dependability is an important thing. It's I think, good to have. I, I, I think it's a, I think it's something that I and mean, we all talk about the um, the Achilles heel of the Canucks, right? And people will say, "Oh, it's the defense, obviously." And I, I don't disagree with that, but I think another one that doesn't really get enough play was is is just the makeup of their forward group. The forward group is talented, don't get me wrong, but is there enough two-way ability, enough two-way smarts up there to be considered a really good hockey team? And I hate to do this, but I think it's – but I, th- I actually don't hate to do it. I think it's a good exercise. Look back at all the really smart two-way players that the Canucks had on that 2011 team. Kessler won the Selkie. Burroughs was a really good two-way player. He was a smart hockey player. Uh, Yannick Hansen, Chris Higgins, like all these guys did the little things in the game that you expect them to do. They won battles along the wall. They were dependable. Their coaches knew, you know, that, that you send this player out there, that he's going to do this job. Manny Malhotra. Right. There was just, there was a real, it was a really smart group. And I think that the Canucks need more of that. And I would like to see some young players grow into that role. But if I'm Bruce Boudreaux, I know that I can't just throw out a bunch of young guys, young, inexperienced players on a matchup line. Uh, Speaking of reliability and dependability, (laughs) the 650 listeners they certainly came through upon request. Jason said, try and distract us by being somewhat obnoxious and kind of personally insulting. Uh, unsigned from Gary, you guys are so boring that you should be sleep aids. Another unsigned. Oh, wait, this one's from Stephen Prince George. Goldobin and Tramkin are the Russian Halford and Bruff, but with better content. And finally, unsigned <laughs> from Gary. Sometimes I think you guys embrace your lackadaisical style so much that you don't ever strive to be better at your jobs or more importantly, at life. Well, this has been an uplifting morning. Before we go to break, I need to tell you that Halford and Bruff in the Morning is brought to you by 
Black and Lee, specifically all of our Canucks preseason coverage. Suiting up has never been easier with suits and tuxedos in a modern, wide range of colors, styles, and fits. Visit them online at blackandlee.com. Coming up, more Canucks news, more Canucks analysis. We'll go through the projected roster for tonight's game against the Kraken. We'll talk about Demko, Rathbone, Carlson, Anyone else you want to weigh in on that doesn't involve personally insulting one of us, text line is 650-650. You are listening to the Halford and Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. Good old dependable time. It's boring. Yeah. It's boring. Dependable, dependable. Time now for Sportsnet 650 traffic from the City News 1130 Air Patrol. On the... Six thirty-five on a Thursday. Happy Thursday, everybody! Halford and Bruff, Sportsnet six fifty. Halford and Bruff of the morning is brought to you by the Delari family of Acura dealers. Experience the Delari difference today by visiting your nearest Delari Acura dealer today. Well, the the call to action for insulting and distracting Halford and Bruff has certainly been heard. Some good ones in here. There's a couple directed right at me. I have flagged them. One of them says. When Halford says, quote, that's actually a good idea, end quote, I know immediately that it was definitely not a good idea. That was from Keith the Grip. Thank you. Uh, Brandon and Coquilla, much more succinct. Hey, Halford, you smell like manure. Mm. Troy the bread guy, you guys are just filler until we get a half hour of Drancer breaking down his fantasy team. Fair. That's nice because he insulted us and Drancer. Everyone wins on that insult yeah. list. You guys that's- can stop now, by the way. I think we got the gist. But we are going to make a com- – we're making several commitments to the listeners. One is when we do what we learns. And a reminder, that's going to be at 8.30 today, two hours from now. Start getting them in now. Hashtag them WWL. What did you learn over the last 24 hours in sports? 650-650 is the text line. Uh, we promised the listeners more time to read their what we learns and a chance for them to be on the radio. We're also going to make the promise to the listeners that we are not going to be distracted in the moment. And we're going to be solely – and uniquely focused on the task at hand. You're not paying attention to me, are you? I am. <laughs> that was part of the bit. The task. I was <laughs> uh, on the task. something about the task. Yeah. Something about the task. What do we got to do now? What are we doing? We're talking Canucks. That's what we're mm-hmm. doing. There is a game tonight, 6:30 at Rogers Arena against the Kraken, the the, the Seattle Derby, Seattle Vancouver. Uh, we went through the lines already. Uh, we'll real quick. Um, it doesn't look like Travis Dermott will be anywhere near the ice tonight. He missed practice yesterday. Bruce Boudreaux said he still wasn't feeling well after exiting practice the day before. So he's out. It sounds like Danny DeKaiser will be in, so he'll get another look on his PTO. No Bo Horvat tonight. Uh, and to be honest, it was a little bit interesting. A couple people, they noted the fact that yesterday at practice, there was a lot of PK work, mm-hmm. and Bo Horvat was not involved in said PK work. If you're really curious about this, the pairings were Pearson, good old trusty, reliable Tanner Pearson and JT Miller. Curtis Lazar and Jason Dickinson, Dakota Joshua and Elias Pettersson, and then Phil DiGiuseppe and Nils Oman. It's Oman, by the way. That's what that little... Oman? That little hat over the A. Yeah. Why don't they just have an O? I Because that's not his surname. Oh, okay. They should, though. <laughs> and then... So that was... I'm interested all the stories in this, from UBC by the way. Yesterday. Go I'm ahead. interested okay. in this. If, if I want to see um, who's going to be on the PK, and I guess when it comes to Bo Horvat, possibly who's not going to be on the PK. Um, it is interesting, too, that JT Miller is out there 
listed as the first pair. I don't know if that that was you just listing it or if that is the those were all courtesy of Batch, and he is a very yeah. he pays very close attention to detail in terms of who's out first and who's out second. Well, it should also be no it should be, probably be mentioned that Mikheyev is going to be part of this PK, right? Yes, uh, he's hurt right now. Uh, I don't think Brock Besser is, so Mikheyev will be. Um, the Bo Horvat not being a very good penalty killer is, I don't know, some people will say it's surprising because he's a good defensive player, and some people will say it's not surprising because he's actually not a good defensive player. That's his only his reputation that he came out of with Junior, and for some reason he's he's kept that reputation. I think part of the reason he's kept that reputation is because the coaches in Vancouver have often made him the matchup man. He's the guy that goes out there and plays the tough minutes. I've watched him a number of times from the press box on the PK, and he's just not very good at it. Right. And a lot of it's instinct. And I was actually thinking of something that JT Miller said the other day when he he was talking about how he has to improve in his own end. And one of the things he was saying was, like, I get caught puck watching a lot. And I wonder if that happens to Horvat. He gets caught puck watching a little bit because if you get caught puck watching, here's what happened. Here's what can happen. Number one, someone can just sneak in behind you. If you're watching the puck, there's a lot of stuff that's happening behind you. Another thing that can happen is sometimes you just drift out of where you should be. Sure. And the whole idea of penalty killing is to get in shooting lanes, but also to get in passing lanes, make it tough for the other team to um, set up a good shot, obviously. And I think that's where he struggles because I don't think he struggles in the area of, hey, there's a loose puck. You know, maybe there's a shot and a rebound. You got to get that puck and you got to get it down the ice. Like, mm-hmm. I actually think he's he's pretty good at that, right? Like, he's good at winning battles. He's, you know, you, if, you, if you go into a battle along the wall with him and a loose puck, quite often he's going to get the puck. But I think it's more just the shooting lanes and the passing lanes where, where he struggles to shut things down a little bit. Yeah. I think um, the penalty kill is the one place where structure and shape really fundamentally matter because, I mean, I, I don't need to explain this to you, but you're, you're down a man. Yeah. So the four guys that are out oh, there. Oh, is that? That's what happened. That's his very key part to remember about this is you have is one he less out, player. Is that guy out of the game then? Is he, he allowed to return? No. Where does he, he go? It's like a red card in soccer. They just go away for forever. It's very okay. damaging to take a penalty. Okay, gotcha. No, yeah. but... Uh, we talk, they talk about lanes and shape and, you know, what F1 and F2 have to do. You can be, honestly, two or three feet out of position, and it can be extremely costly yeah. on the PK. And that's what you're talking about, like, with the drift. Like, you mm-hmm. know, you've got an Xbox controller and a drift button. But that, it's the reality of it is that if you're not really disciplined, you can cause problems for the rest of the kill. The best players are so good at knowing exactly where the they are on the ice. Mm-hmm. The flip side of that, though, is that guys that are really aggressive and tend to pursue pucks and chase pucks mm-hmm. can often get chances shorthanded. So it's a six and one half dozen. Are you going to take the risk but possibly give up a shooting lane or give up an opportunity? And then you look at some of these other guys that do create some pretty decent offense shorthanded. Mm-hmm. It's like, yeah, maybe we want you to do that. I think what it comes down to is the individual player's instincts and how much trust the coaching staff has. Like, for example, in Boston, they trust Marshawn uh, a lot on the PK, mm-hmm. and he hunts down a lot of offensive chances. I think part of it is because he's got a knack for 
not bailing on his defensive responsibilities to go do it. Some guys do. Some guys don't. We're going to see which guys have that for the Canucks now moving forward. With JT Miller, um, if he, if let's say he's a big part of the PK, he's obviously going to be a big part of the power play. How do they get his minutes down? Because isn't that one of the things that they, they said that they needed to do with JT Miller? Like mm-hmm. he's playing a little bit too much. Yeah. And it's not like he's playing half an hour a game. Well, sometimes it seems, sometimes he did. Yeah. Um, but he, he just, he's just such, I mean, he's on the top line, right? PK, power play. How is it that he's not going to play 22, 23 minutes a night under Bruce Boudreaux? Uh, we've talked about this before. I wonder if it's going to be because Pedersen becomes a plus 20 minute a night guy. Because remember, for the, the three or four years of his career so far, Pedersen's kind of clocked in at around 18, 18 and a half. So do you shave a couple of shifts off Miller like at down five the middle? On, at five, five on five. On five? Yeah. yeah. Uh, on the penalty kill... I do wonder if they will lean on... Remember when they made the change to Boudreaux and they made a pretty fundamental switch on the PK, which was, let's get more guys involved with this. Mm-hmm. Shorter shifts, more contributors, and let's see what happens. And it, it turned out to be a relatively effective strategy. All that said, anything would have been more effective than what they were doing in the early parts of the season on the PK. So it could be that Miller is a part of that penalty kill unit, but not really adding to his ice time that much. Like, if you get one twirl for, I don't know, 15, 20 seconds, and then you're off, it's not going to add your total at the end of the night, but you're still contributing. Uh, On the subject of playing time and minutes, I do want to turn our attention to Thatcher Demko. IMAC, Ian McIntyre, Sportsnet's very own, had a pretty good piece up yesterday talking about how Demko is determined to reach a new level after reaching a new level last year. So a lot of people astutely and rightly pointed out that last year was Demko's breakout year. Do right? we have the level up sound yet? Do uh, we? We asked. We asked Dom and Laddie to to work on this and to have the drop. A dog and Laddie. Uh, oh yeah, a dog and Laddie. We yeah. asked them to to work on it, and uh, it doesn't seem like it it, it got done. This field. Oh, oh, okay, there, there it is. Go. So that is the universal level up, and that's mm. the new hot term among the kids, the yeah. youths, if you will. And I think it just means that you're achieving something. Is that all it is? Leveling up is achieving. No, becoming, I think, yeah. becoming better. You're becoming better, yeah. but, but you already have to be good, I think. And I also think there's a certain sense of... Like, uh, who, who, who are candidates to level up this year? Demko, obviously. Mm-hmm. I think Pedersen is, is a big one. Well, I've talked about Quinn Hughes. Yeah, Quinn leveling Hughes. up Those are the big three, because everyone already knows that they're good players, but can they be even better? Can they level up? Uh, for example, can Thatcher Demko level up to become a legitimate Vesna Trophy candidate? And you know where where did he finish in the voting last year? Oh, he wasn't even in like thirteenth. Yeah, or something it, like that. it was a bit it yeah. was a bit shocking. Can Hughes level up to become a legitimate Norris Trophy candidate? And Pedersen the same for I don't know what you would uh, Hart I guess is is where he needs to get to. That's going to be a tough one, but um, you know he just needs to level up to the point where he can be considered one of the truly elite players in the NHL, and it's a high bar right now. So on Demko, uh, the gist is essentially that Demko's happy he was able to become the starter last season, a full-time, full-fledged NHL starter, but that's not good enough anymore. Now he's setting his sights on becoming an elite goalie in the NHL. When we talk about mindset and we talk about guys being independently, inherently driven, and that mentality going in, Hearing this from Demko was great because this is a guy that you never thought he was going to rest on his laurels, 
but he did have a huge breakthrough season. And you always kind of wonder, what's next for these guys? What's driving them internally? What's motivating them? I remember Roberto Luongo was that when he came to Vancouver. Uh, here's the audio now. Thatcher Demko talking about how he's determined to reach a new level after his breakthrough season a year ago. Yeah, I think, you know, last year was, um, for me, I wanted to, um, you know, just become a starting goalie full-time, and um, I was able to do that. And, um, you know, for me, the expectation now is, is to be a top goalie in the league. Uh, you know, being a starter isn't good enough anymore. Uh, it's about taking that next step and, and continuing to prove myself to, to my teammates and, and to the league as well. So i um, excited to take that next step this year as well. To me, that is... <laughs> The response would be, that's great, Thatcher, because uh, we're going to need it. We're going to need you to be better than last year if we're going to be a playoff team, which Bruce Boudreau has said is the goal, and anything short of that would be a failure. I hate hinging this much on one individual player, especially in that particular position where it's so unpredictable and so many things can go sideways. It's, it's goaltending. Mm -hmm. right? It's borderline voodoo. It's very tough to try and predict. But the reality of the situation is with that blue line, Demko's going to need to play a lot of games, and he's going to need to be really good in a lot of them, and I don't think anyone's going to argue that point. Can I just say how much I've enjoyed watching the development of Thatcher Demko? It is just the, the Canucks, and I'll give, obviously, credit to the Canucks for, number one, being patient with him and let him go through the stages of the game that he needed to go through. College hockey, AHL, first-year backup, and then you're a starter, but also just to, and also bringing in a guy like Ian Clark. Yeah, I, th I think the organization deserves a ton of credit for that. But also to Thatcher Demko himself. I was actually looking back at an interview I did with Demko, and I think it was back in 2018. Okay, um, and I had a chat with him. That's when I used to do like real journalism, and I asked him this question. I said, there's always a concern with top goalie prospects like yourself that if you develop them a bit too quickly and they get to the NHL and have a bad experience, that they'll lose their confidence and essentially that they'll, you'll break them. Carter Hart. Or, you know, whoever. And he says, and he goes, I always chuckle when I see people saying that stuff. I mean, if a guy's going to go up and let in six goals in his first game and then allow that to ruin his entire career then that's not the guy you want in the net anyways. I failed a ton of times in my career. It's part of the learning process. I think I lost my first four or five AHL games, and I learned a ton from that stretch of games. It was a great – I remember that interview. He's and, just yeah. – he's just got – he's got such a great attitude. And I said, you know, uh, tell me a bit about that first experience in the NHL. Was there any panic – that you got to that new level and you're like, oh my God, I can't handle that. And he said, there's no panic. You can't. You don't have time to panic in pro hockey. You play a ton of games. You have to sit back and realize, yeah, you've lost four games in a row. But what happened in those four games that you can change? It's that growth mindset that he's got. Yep. And that all the best hockey players and frankly, the most successful people in the world have. Like, they don't be like, I can't do this. Like, clearly, I can't do this. Yeah. They just find ways to go out and do it. The position, uh, the goalie position is also inherent for some reason or another, and I haven't quite figured it out yet, but there's something about being, th there's always that next step in that next elite class. I think it's because, honestly, there's no internal competition on the team, right? Let's make that abundantly clear. There are other guys on this team where they're being pushed by, they're teammates yeah. for minutes and for spots on lines and for designations. Are you a top six guy? Are you a bottom six guy? 
Thatcher Demko doesn't have that internally and inherently with the Canucks. So he, he really looks to around the league. This quote here where he said, I expect a lot more from myself this year. I'm not disappointed in last year, but I'm also not satisfied with it. I do know that having spoken to enough NHL goalies throughout this journalistic career, small J journalism, they all have this internal marker of where they're at and where everybody else at. Yeah. Luongo had it in spades well, when he got to Vancouver. To right? a fault, too, right? I know, and that's yeah. the thing, is you want to have that it. fine but, line that is in every topic. And you don't want it to cripple you, where it's like, all oh, you're chasing, and then when you don't, maybe, God forbid, you don't hit that goal. Tim Thomas isn't saying nice things about me. But that was the thing with Luongo, is he was always <laughs> fueled by perceptions, outward perceptions. By that, I mean, I distinctly remember talking to a couple guys that said when Luongo came to Vancouver, he would bristle when he would be described as one of the NHL's best young goalies. Does this not get us back to that question where I stumped KJ Wright? Is ego in sports a good thing or a bad thing? Right. And I think it does to a certain degree because I think you need a healthy ego and I think you need a healthy level of confidence. Mm -hmm. uh, I think the real question with ego is because for a lot of people, you sometimes have a blow to your confidence, to your ego. No one wins all the time, yeah. right? There's only one Stanley Cup champion at the end of the year. Everyone else has fallen short. So in a sense, it's a failure. It's how do you deal with it in the aftermath. Mm -hmm. With Luongo, for example, uh, in the two instances that I remember, like the, the, the young goalie thing was hilarious because everyone's like, why do you bristle at that label? He's like, I don't want to be known as one of the great young goalies in the NHL. I want to be known as one of the great goalies in the NHL. Mm -hmm. Don't put... Any labels on me, I am one of the best at this. That mattered. Years later, the Tim Thomas thing was just so bizarre and hilarious and bizarre. Mm -hmm. And, you know, and I, I think he learned from that. I think you do as well. The, yeah. the interesting thing with Demko is he seems so measured when he talks about all this stuff. Mm -hmm. That there's a real clarity in messaging and a clarity of vision. He knows what he wants to do and where he wants to go. There's and he so does, you know what? The other thing to you, though, is just, I didn't mean to cut you off. Yeah, but no, no problem. It doesn't seem like he's really concerned about what anyone else is thinking about him. Like he has, it matters what he, thinks yeah, about he him. has yeah. goals and he has standards that he wants to reach. Yeah. And honestly, you look at last year and you've just got to be salivating at the prospect mm -hmm. that that was only one step for the guy. Like he, there's no satisfaction there on being one of the best goalies in the NHL last year. He wants to take it a step further. There's a lot of pressure on this guy in this market. And the pressure comes oftentimes from, I mean, a lot of the times it's coming from people that doubt you, right? Sure. You know, we go into we go into season and be like, who's the guy under pressure? Or like, who's the coach on the hot seat, right? So that's a certain type of pressure. There's also a certain type of pressure that comes along with people saying, yeah, you're a given to be good, especially a goalie, right? Mm -hmm. A goalie, you, can, you know, even a guy like Thatcher Demko, you can lose your confidence once in a while and you can go through adversity. And with his importance to the team, it's almost like – if he has one bad stretch during the regular season, you're kind of like, man, that, that could be pretty costly for a team that's not a perfect team and is on the bubble and needs. And I think it's just that it's that expectation that he's going to be good. There's always pressure there. You know, it, it, it almost reminds me of um, it's a little bit different because Pedersen, I feel like, isn't as established as Demko was, although that sounds weird because they're both young players in the NHL. But I think when Pedersen's season started last year and we were watching him and we were like, this this does not look anything like Petey. Like this is do you remember do you remember thinking how weird it was? Like what has happened mm -hmm. to this guy? What what what? It was almost like when Tiger Woods got the chipping yips. And you're like, what? 
Like, how does this happen? Uh, so Thatcher Demko to me is, he doesn't get a lot of debate in the market. There's not, like, what is there to debate about Thatcher Demko? Like, he's going to be the starter. He's a really good goalie. The debate, I guess, really comes from, can he be a Vesna guy or how high, how good can things go with Thatcher Demko? But honestly, you know, I, I know I, th- I threw that out there and I'm not trying to be house negativity. If there's one goalie in the NHL that I, that I trust not to lose his head, it's a guy like Thatcher Demko because we've seen how he's developed and we've seen his thinking along the way mm-hmm. and how he takes things in stride. And one bad game, he's like, all right, what can I learn from that, right? He's, he's composed, and I think composure in a goalie is just so important. So Demko is expected to make his preseason debut tonight against the Seattle Kraken at Rogers Arena. Uh, I'm not 100% certain yet if it's going to be in a starting role, if he's going to come in off the bench. I would assume he might be the starter. Uh, another thing, too, and before we go to break here and turn things over to Nick Shook for some NFL talk on the other side, Demko did say that he has a number in mind for games that he either wants or figures that he'll play this year. And he didn't give that number out. That would have been great. I do. 63. I, no. <laughs> I do wonder if he's going to get close to 70 games played. I know it hasn't been done in a while. Uh, that's not good news if he does. Is it's it? not. No, it's not is good it? news. No, is it's it? not. It's not. It means they don't have a reliable backup. No. It yes, could it mean, does. No, it doesn't. It could mean that they would be in a play, a real, real tight playoff chase. Let's say that they're a 96-point team and 96 is the bar to make the playoffs or not. And down the stretch, like, we have to go with our guy because okay. we can't afford to lose these games. You think it's a good thing. I think it's a bad thing. I don't I, think it's a bad thing. I just yeah. think it's a thing. I think it's a bad thing if he plays that much. Because he, I mean, right now. they don't have a backup that right they now, trust. The, right now, the high-end guys in the NHL last year played between 64 and 67 mm-hmm. games. And that's like Hellebuck, Soros, the guys with the heavy workload. The key is getting the backups in early so you rest your starter. Well, that's what I'm wondering. Right. Is in the first three months of the season, do we see more of Spencer Martin as opposed to the last couple of months we're where gonna, you really got to lean on your guy? We're going to see Spencer Martin at least once, I think, on this, well, probably just once, on this opening five-game road trip because there is a back-to-back in there. So Spencer Martin, his first his first three or four starts are really important mm-hmm. because if you have three or four starts as a backup and they are not good, then all of a sudden you're like, okay, what else do they have? Well, they have Colin Delia. Yes. I think they're going to want Seelovs down in the AHL just playing a lot of games. Even though he's clearly talented, I think they're just going to want him playing and finding his game. And again, you know, like develop these guys carefully and, you know, just do it like you did with Thatcher Demko. Um, but, you know, Spencer Martin has some shaky starts early on. That's not good news for the Canucks because they are really going to need their backup to be solid this year. And I think he's got the potential to do it. Uh, Coming up on the Halford and Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650, some NFL talk ahead of Thursday Night Football. Nick Shook from NFL.com is going to join us as we go around the league and look ahead to this tilt tonight on Thursday Night Football between the Bengals and the Dolphins. Lots more to get to. Don't go anywhere. You are listening to the Halford and Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650.